Welcome to the Journey Women podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Bielis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. Today, we have the joy of getting to hear from Caroline Saunders on the topic of clothing or getting dressed. In this conversation, Caroline points us to the hope that we have as those who are clothed in Christ. If you don't know her, Caroline is a writer, teacher, and writing teacher who believes in taking Jesus seriously and being as unserious about nearly everything else as possible. Caroline lives with her husband, Luke, and their three funny kids in Mississippi, where Luke pastors a church and the kids run wild in the lobby. Caroline loves to help others know and enjoy God and His Word, which is something that we are passionate about here at Journey Woman, and I can't wait for you to hear from her today. Caroline Saunders, welcome back to the Journey Woman podcast. Thank you, Hunter. I'm super excited to be here. You are one of my real-life friends (laughs) made through the internet, which is also, I just like to remind people, the internet is real life. You're just not in person. We would all do well to remember the internet is real life. There are real people. Real people (laughs) on the other side of it. Praise God. (laughs) You have been such an encouragement to me as I've gotten to know you even at a distance. And I'm so grateful for your kindred hearted friendship in the gospel. We've had you on Journey Women in the past. You have put your eyes on many things that I have personally written and offered your wisdom and counsel and encouragement as just a sister in ministry even at a distance. But for those who don't know you, I want to tell them a little bit about you because it was a long time ago that you were on Journey Women. It's been years since you've been been on Journey Women, which is quite a shame. You know, we'll just have an extra good time today. How about that? (laughs) (laughs) It's always a gift to get to step into the closet and talk to someone (laughs) who I wish I had more time to talk to in my everyday life. Here's one of the reasons I love talking to you. You love God's Word. You also have this incredible ability just to trace the themes in scripture, um, which is called biblical theology. It's something that I aspire toward. And today we're going to do that on the topic of clothing. But you've done that in other resources that you have produced. So let's talk about Story of Water. That is your upcoming book with B&H Kids. That's been another fun thing that we've gotten to walk through together, both publishing with B&H Kids, kids books. Yes. And yours is coming out like this fall, right? Yes, it's coming out this fall. It is uh, retelling the big story of the Bible for kids by looking at the water water stories in the Bible, which is so exciting. And then in the spring, we'll have the story of home, which does the same thing with the picture of home. And it was so hard. I mean, you know, who knew it was so hard to write a kid's book, but it's so challenging to say something theologically accurate that kids can understand at the same time. But wow, I mean, I feel so sharpened as a result of it and more excited about God's word than ever. So I cannot wait to have that book in my hands. I'm so excited about it. So what's one of the words that you had to define? Like, I remember when I was going through writing my kid's book, for example, sin. Like, you say sin, we talk about sin all the time. So like, okay, but how do we, in just a few words, define sin? We ended up defining it as a heart gone astray. Wow. There's so many different ways you could talk about sin, like, you know, sin is disobedience, all these things. Did you have, like, a particular word that they were like, you can use that, but only if... You make it clear to a four-year-old. The thing that was so challenging that's similar to that is the idea of home. Because on one hand, a kid is going to understand that very literally. Of course, we're not talking about it literally. So that we were just constantly wrestling the whole manuscript of Hmm. how are we saying this? Um, But by the end of it, I feel like... I feel like it got there, but it was it's so difficult because every edit is so exposing. I have to really wrestle with this. What do I mean? So I think it was good. I think everybody should try their hand at having to write for kids or even just being a mom and having to explain something to your kid. It's weird how challenging it is. Absolutely. It really causes you to kind of get down to the heart of the issue, which is, man, that's what we're going to do today. I'm so stoked about that. And you have also done that for teens. And so I just want to let people know that if they're not familiar with your work, the Better Than Life Bible Study for Teens, it's my go-to recommendation when it comes to teen Bible studies. Thank you. It is so good. It basically teaches teens. I endorse this, so I get to tell about it. (laughs) It basically teaches teens how to do inductive Bible study, which is something that we've talked a lot about on the show. So if you are looking for a resource to help your daughters or the women in your church that are young understand how do we study the Bible and how can we actually develop a practice where we don't necessarily need to have a Bible study 
to be able to dig into the words of God yes. um, and understand them. So thank you for that. And then you have another one coming out called Good News, How to Know the Gospel and Live It This Fall. You're just, girl, you're busy. I'm glad you just got off a sabbatical. I know. Yeah, the sabbatical is much needed. <laughs> but on the other hand, this particular work, I'm sure you feel the same way. It's so taxing and so energizing at the same time. Like, yeah, it, it's just the most exciting thing ever. And I'm really pumped about good news because I know that when I was a teenager, I did understand the gospel as it pertained to my salvation and as it pertained to eternity. And I had no idea that it could apply to my everyday life. And so I'm hoping to equip teen girls to know the gospel and live it in your everyday life or to actually change you and make a difference in your day-to-day stuff. I mean, yeah, I've got all the energy in the world for that. That was so, so, so exciting to create. Well, that's one of the things that you do so well. And that's like one of my favorite reasons I actually get to talk to you as a friend, because sometimes I wrestle with that. It becomes especially hard when it's something that I interface with on a daily basis that I just have accepted and not thought through theologically. And so today we get to do that with a topic that we deal with every day, sometimes multiple times a day if you're me (laughs) and you're sweaty in the middle of summer. Yes. (laughs) Clothing. We are going to talk about how does scripture kind of teach us and instruct us when it comes to the topic of clothing. So thank you for your willingness to dive into this very obscure yet practical topic today. I can't even explain how excited I am to talk about this. I can't wait for the listeners to hear from you because they're like, why are we talking about clothing? But just you wait. One of the things that we do on Journey Women almost every episode, the goal is to do it every episode. I say almost because I'm sure we've failed in the past 156 episodes at some point. But we try to tether the topic that we're discussing to Scripture because Scripture is our instruction for life and godliness. So where do we see this topic, clothing, in the Bible. Okay, well, people might be surprised, but we really do see the topic of clothing throughout the Bible. Sometimes it's literal, sometimes it's a metaphor because God loves to use common items like water, bread, light, and clothing, these everyday things that we can't help but interact with in order to reveal truth about him. So, we see it all throughout, but of course it starts in Genesis 1 and 2. God created created the first man and woman. And if you've never even read one page of the Bible in your life, you at least know one fact about Adam and Eve, and that is that they were naked. Everybody (laughs) knows Adam and Eve were naked, right? (laughs) We all wonder what that would be like to be naked and unashamed. (laughs) I know. It is very fascinating. It's very fascinating. So God creates these people. He creates them naked. And a really quick way to kind of understand God's relationship with humanity in those first two chapters is that God creates the people— God commissions the people. So he gives them this commissioning to rule this new world and to make it thrive. And he communes with them. So created, commissioned, communes, meaning he walked with them. Like we sort of get the sense they're like this young, these young royals in training. And God is like the ultimate power who empowers them and guides them and loves them. And then God's descriptor of how things were in the world at this point is that it was very good. But Mm. then, as we know, in Genesis 3, everything shifts. Adam and Eve sin, and in so doing, they rebel against their creator. They reject their creator. They reject their commissioning, and they kind of destroy their communing. And then the very first consequence of this rebellion is that Adam and Eve realize that they're naked. They'd been naked, but they were naked in a world where there was no rebellion, and now they are naked in a world where there is rebellion, and that's a game changer. And their immediate Mm. immediate feeling to this is shame. So I imagine it's kind of like if you've ever been pantsed or if you've had that dream. (laughs) That's a very specific feeling. (laughs) If you've had that dream where you're standing in the high school cafeteria and you're naked. Such a weird dream, by the way. I know. Why do we all have it? And 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 for me, it was when I was young. Like it was like I'm in third grade oh. and I'm in the the line. You know how you like line up on the tiles in like <laughs> elementary school or whatever. And I just didn't but, have a shirt on. Naked. And it was like, why? Why? Oh, bless third grade higher heart. It's vulnerable. That's it. It's exposing in a bad way. It is terrible. So that feeling is probably a glimmer of what Adam and Eve experienced. And so in response to their that shame, they do what we would do, which if you get pantsed, 
you try to cover up very quickly. They do the same thing. They make clothing out of fig leaves. Now, leaves, we all know leaves don't make good clothes, but they've never had clothes before. They're just working with what they got, I guess. It is not a sufficient covering. (laughs) So we now see that they have a new need. That before they did not have a need, and God was communing with them, these created people he's commissioned, but now suddenly they have a new need. They need to be covered. And so despite the fact that they have rebelled, God treats them with such fatherly kindness and dignity by covering them. Now he offers a clothing that is better than what they could offer themselves. And if you pay attention to the text, you see that the clothing was made from the skin of an animal. And if you had been paying attention to chapters one and two, you see that Adam actually names all of these animals. It's part of the commissioning is that that he is invited to take part in this creation. He names all the different animals. It's something that God asked him to do. And so what we see here is probably one of those animals that Adam had named is killed. And we have to remember that nothing had ever died before was killed so that Adam and Eve could have a sufficient covering. And so this lesson was kind and weighty. And I kind of wonder if Mm -hmm. this was a lesson that they would think about every time they got dressed, that in order for Mm. those who are naked and ashamed to be clothed, death must occur. Sacrifice must occur. The big story of the Bible continues with person after person who kind of follows after the same pattern. They're created people and they have a commissioning and they might seem to commune with God on some level, but then we see their hearts and their hearts are full of rebellion. So some people are kings dressed in royal robes and some people are prophets dressed in weird garments and some are, you know, warriors dressed in armor. But spiritually speaking, they are all naked and ashamed. They are all in need of a covering. And so Hmm. God did what he did back in Genesis 3. He pursues the naked and ashamed to provide a covering they could not provide themselves. So God, the son, comes in the form of a man. And as he grows up, he doesn't look on the outside like any particular noticeable way. But as he begins to teach, his words like remind people of God himself. And so some people respond to this. Many, though, cling to the idea of rebellion. And they find within Jesus reason to be envious, to be angry, to be murderous. And so they arrest him and they strip him naked And then at one point in the crucifixion story, we see that they clothe him in royal robes and in a crown of thorns. And these are not royal garments designed to make people marvel. They're designed to make people mock him. He's exposed not just physically, but he's also very exposed emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And so he kind of embodies the idea of naked and ashamed. And then eventually he's nailed to a cross and his naked, mutilated bodies on display for all to see. And he dies the most shameful death imaginable. Mm. Then, of course, we know he did not stay dead. He steps out of the grave in a resurrected body. And at this point, I think, is when a lot of his teaching starts to make sense. Because like that animal in the garden long ago, he was killed so that traitors could be covered. And so through his work on the cross, anybody who is spiritually naked and ashamed and seeking to cover themselves could be clothed with a covering that only God could provide. You know, the big story of the Bible is big, so there's so much more, but the best part yet to come because God the Son returns to heaven and he sends God the Spirit to live in the hearts of the people and they experience a new kind of spiritual covering and also a spiritual clothing in a way becomes their message, their sins had been covered. Their spiritual nakedness and shame had been covered. They were covered in Jesus's righteousness. So in other words, they were no longer spiritually naked and ashamed, but clothed with strength and dignity. Jesus's death paid their sin debt and Jesus's perfect life is credited to their account. So the church grows with this metaphor of clothing expands and it's not just talking about their salvation, but it's also talking about their sanctification because yes, they're clothed in Christ, but Paul also challenges believers to dress themselves. So like the spiritual clothing is not about earning their way into God's family because they already are, but how they express themselves by being in God's family, just how we express ourselves with our clothing is, you know, part of their sanctification. So Romans 13, Paul tells believers to put on the Lord Jesus Christ or clothe yourself 
in Ephesians, he says, put on the full armor of God. And so all this putting on is how believers now should live out their commissioning within a world full of rebellion. And so, of course, we know that though we're clothed in Christ, there's many times we still can feel naked and ashamed. And so we get to look forward to the day when Jesus returns. And so this is where the big story of the Bible is like really my favorite part in Revelation. Apostle John shares about Jesus returning, offers these two pictures. First, in chapter 7, he sees a multitude of every tribe, tongue, and nation. They're wearing white robes. And the reason the robes are white is because they've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And then at the very end, Revelation 21 and 22, we see a picture of the Bride of Christ, which we generally understand as the church with a capital C, all believers from all nations and ethnicities for all of time. And she's described as arrayed in God's glory, that her radiance is like a precious jewel. Mm. And this is a good time to remember like any wedding that you've ever been to where you notice the bride's dress and we're all like, oh, she looks so beautiful. And then you look back at the groom and you're trying to catch, you know, what his face looks like, because that is a glimmer of Mm. what it's like. Those are just like pictures, gospel pictures that God weaves into our everyday lives so that we'll know like, this is how I'm going to look at my church one day when I return. And so I just think we can, you know, we can only imagine the look in his eyes. And so as we walk through that tension of knowing that we're clothed in Christ, but still sometimes feeling naked and ashamed, we look forward to the Mm. day where there are white robes that have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, and there's a beautiful bride whose groom looks at her with so much love, and yeah, that's like what we get to look to. So the big story of the Bible is really good news for us when we're getting dressed because it tells the story of the gospel. Uh, And I can't wait for you to help us draw out like, okay, how do we remember the gospel as we go into the very nitty gritty and oftentimes just disheartening process of putting clothes onto our bodies. But one thing that I would love for you to talk about, you know, when I'm reading through the text, I'm often asking, okay, what does this say about God and what does this say about humanity? So how does that story that we touched on in the very beginning, the one that you pulled out from Genesis where Adam and Eve were in the garden and all these things kind of unfolded as a result, how does the story of Adam and Eve tell us something about who they were and then something about who God is? So Adam and Eve, they're created by God. They're commissioned to live for God. They're designed to commune with God. That is like at the core, what humanity, humanity's purpose. And, um, but when they sin, when they rebel against God, you know, they're denying their creator, they're um, rejecting their commissioning, and they are damaging their communion with God. And so it reveals that they need a covering. And so we see that God at that point is not just a creator. He's not just a commissioner and he's not just a communer. He's a coverer. And so anytime we are longing for a safe place, longing to be covered, um, there is one place to look, and it's Mm. to the God who has always covered the naked and ashamed. And if you pay attention anywhere you're reading the Bible, you'll probably see a glimmer of that, of somebody longing for a covering and God able to provide it. Mm. You've explained the gospel. How can we be clothed in Christ? And how does the gospel really transform the way that we think in everyday terms about the topic of clothing? Yeah, well, you know, being clothed in Christ means we once were naked and ashamed, and yet now God has covered us. Now we partner with him to put on Christ. So that's like the spiritual dynamic of it that I think we can live out literally in our closets and in our you know, in fitting rooms and all those things. So I think you can be thinking like, okay, as I'm getting dressed, how does this outfit play a small role in how I'm being parented by God? Like, how is my parent leading me and challenging me and delighting in me as I put this on? And Mm. also how can what I'm putting on preach to the world around me about true clothing? Because clothing, just like water, just like bread, just like light. It's one of these small elements that God on purpose has embedded into our lives to tell a story about him. So we get a chance to do that when we get dressed. Now, on the other hand, I don't think we need to be like, so like, oh, every outfit is like uh, telling the whole gospel story. Like it's really not that serious because, you know, jeans at the end of the day, they're just (laughs) jeans, but God can use the jeans to work within us and work with an other. So here's like a little example of that. Okay. 
Um, my sister gave me a pink jumpsuit. Oh, she yes. saw it at a store. I remember that. Yes, she saw it at a store and was like, that is so Caroline. So she buys it for me. I open it up and I was like, oh my God. I mean, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. <laughs> I love this. I have to tell you that I have pink nails right now. And when my sister saw my pink nails, she goes, whose hand is that? <laughs> like, that is the total opposite personality. We've got both represented here. Of course, here. I so love I'm your nails so much. Dude. Thank you. Yeah, like I get this pink jumpsuit. It is so me. Even though there's a part of me that's always tried to not be the pink girl, and a certain point I had to just be like, I am the pink girl. What can I do? I love it. I am moving towards this. Oh, welcome. The water's just fine. Come on in. But she gives me this jumpsuit. And there's certain settings where I wear it, and I'm like, yeah, this is so fun. I love it. And there's certain settings where I feel weird. So like I had yeah. a day where I was like going to wear it, and then I started to feel like, oh, Am I going to seem like Mm. I'm too much? Are people going to make certain Mm. assumptions about me? But God parented me in that closet and was like, Caroline, what is actually happening in your heart right now is that you have a fear of man. You are worried that they are not going to think X, Y, and Z about you, and you're missing the gospel because what I see is that I made you like pink, and your sister gave you this, and you love it, and don't act like you don't love it, and you need to wear it, and this is a way for you to experience joy. So I wore it, and I was like, great. So so I think little moments like that with the Lord where we're trying to process what's going on in our hearts and and hearing gospel truth in it is just so freeing, and it, it can make the closet no longer be a place that feels uh, like a place of death and instead a really life-giving place. Tell about that time that you were standing in a dressing room and you saw a bunch of positive affirmations. Like the world offers us a different word, right? When it comes to feeling good about the way we look in clothes. So what was your experience when you were standing in that dressing room that had like things kind of stuck to the window and you were reading them as you were trying on clothes? Yeah, the world knows we have a problem. And what they think it is, they think it's an affirmation problem. They think that what we need is more people being like, you're so beautiful, you know? But when somebody that you don't know writes, you look beautiful, work it, or whatever, on a post-it and puts it in a fitting room, <laughs> that does not do anything. And we have to stop acting like that helps because it really doesn't help. Or even if you get a compliment from someone that you already know and love, for a minute, it's great, but it melts away pretty fast. For we sure. just have to have something more substantial And that's where I think the big gospel story comes into play of like, you know, I don't have to earn my righteousness. There's actually nothing to prove here. I don't have to ask this new dress or this pair of jeans or this shirt to give me value. It's just so not that serious. You know, I get Mm. to just enjoy this for what it is or not buy it at all if it's the worst thing ever. And it doesn't (laughs) have to impact my soul. Because my soul is safe because I am covered. So I think Mm. that often we go into a fitting room without any armor on, you know, without any idea of what's true about us and who has more fully clothed us with a covering, Mm -hmm. you know, that we could have never covered with ourselves. And we start asking a dress to make us accepted or to, you know, ask a pair of jeans to make us worthwhile. And that's just too much pressure. Like the dress can't do it. Life is crazy sometimes, and finding time to sit down and read the Bible can be difficult. That is why I love Dwell. When I can't find time to read the Bible, I can listen to it. The voices reading the Bible are soothing. They're not your normal narrators. Plus, you can choose calming background music and adjust the pace of the narrator's voice to get things just right. Dwell's newest release is called Dwell Daily, a fresh, thoughtfully crafted devotional that immerses you in the word, allowing you to pray it, meditate on it, and so much more. If you're looking to deepen your engagement with the Bible this year, Dwell Daily is worth checking out. I cannot recommend Dwell enough to help you orient your mind to the life-giving word of God throughout your day. Go to dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen to receive your 25% discount today. Again, that's dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen for your 25% discount to subscribe and spend time in God's Word. 
let's just say you're, you know, talking to a friend about this stuff because we are often confronted with this conversation where topic of clothes, bodies, etc. comes up. Maybe we're sitting at the pool. It's summertime. And we have this opportunity, right, to share and testify to the truth that you are so beautifully unfolding for us. How would you do that with someone who has not yet experience the joy of being covered by Christ's righteousness because they are not in Christ. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of interesting questions you could ask. You could say something like, oh, it it sounds like you feel ashamed of your body, or it sounds like you might feel ashamed of your clothes. I totally know what that's like. I totally know what that's like. And the only thing that has been able to help me, the only thing that has ever tried to cover my shame has been the Lord. Like the jeans could not do it. The workout couldn't do it. No matter how fit and how well-dressed we are, like at the end of the day, it's just not enough. You know, I think I would just ask questions, say, do you know what I mean? Do you ever feel like that? And, And I think that we could just say, I'd love to tell you more about the God who covers me. So that even if I'm wearing the dumbest outfit, even if this does not fit at all, <laughs> that I c- can still be convinced that I'm still clothed yeah. in strength and dignity, that I can yeah. still know that yeah. my soul is kept safe, even if I look, feel like I look terrible in this bathing suit. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 100%. And you know, what's so interesting is I, I in my personal story, the time where I probably by the world's standards, like looked the best was the time where I felt the least secure in these things. It was because I wasn't trusting in the sufficiency of Christ, like you referenced. And right now I'm kind of being confronted with some of the things from the past that I really wrestled with. One of these being like at the top of the list, like clothing being at the top of the list because I am pregnant. And (laughs) the changing shape of this body. And so one day, you know, what fit yesterday doesn't fit today. Mm -hmm. And so it's just this progression of seeing things shift and change and the unfamiliarity of looking in the mirror, all of these things. It can be a real trigger for me to feel that sense of shame, like I'm not living up to the doctor's expectations in regarding to weight gain and all these things. So how can we, when we are struggling, whether you're pregnant, whether you are postpartum, how can we turn away from what we see in the mirror and turn our eyes to Christ and just strive to really behold the Lord first, then to move towards what we see in the reflection I mean, I know that you know the verse that everybody slaps on when we like are having some kind of crisis about how we look on the outside and they say, you're fearfully, wonderfully made. We know that. But what is so beautiful is to zoom out a little bit on that psalm because we will just so quickly apply that to ourselves and miss the fact that for the 13 verses leading up to that, David has been meditating on how big and how powerful and how all-knowing God is. And he has spent all that time beholding God, and it actually changes how he sees himself. It changes it. He starts to not just see that God is good, but that God has made things that are good, and that this includes his physical person. And so I think that we can experience that same overflow The first time this really ever resonated with me, I went to beach camp with our student ministry at the time, and I had been reading Job, and I was actually postpartum, so I was having to cling to the word a little more closely than we might do when everything's- (laughs) Especially around like all the tiny teenage bodies. Around the (laughs) tiny teenagers, that's what I'm saying. I was like, I'm going to have to be- Oh, I'm going to have to be in the word. So I had been reading actually the book of Job and God quiets Job with all these realities about him. And the thing that I kept thinking about is that God tells the waves where to stop. It was so powerful to me to think about that. So I'm actually on the beach thinking about that. And I'm like, God, you, you tell these where to stop. Like what that, it just boggled my mind. And then I can hear off to the side, the most beautiful girls you've ever seen in your life. And they're complaining about their bodies. I mean, I have been the girl on the beach complaining about her, like, I know that life for sure. But it was the first time where the two things were put right next to each other. And I thought, whoa, we've completely missed the point that you can be standing on a beach where God tells the waves where to stop. And you can be standing in the body that he has shaped for you. And you can 
just have your eye on the wrong thing. So when that happens, it happens all the time. It's this neon sign that we need to shift our gaze. And so I think there's two practical things we can do so that we can behold the Lord first and then let that overflow and impact how we see ourselves. So the first thing would be to develop rhythms that reorient us. So this is just making a case for spiritual practices like Bible reading, meditation, prayer, memorization. And then all those words I think can sound very intimidating and fancy, but it's really just like pick a passage that talks about how big God is, read it over and over again, think about it deeply, use it to create prayers to God, and then like eventually maybe try to memorize it. If you keep doing that kind of thing over and over again your whole life, it will change everything, including what happens when you look in a mirror, including what happens when the bridesmaid's dress doesn't fit, including what happens when you have to go to the beach and all your friends are super fit and you're not. Like it will change everything. So that would be the first thing, develop rhythms that reorient us. And then the second thing would be develop discernment for our disorientation. So if the rhythms reorient us, we also need to be able to see when we're disoriented. You know what I mean? So there's this certain sick feeling that I think we all get when we've looked at ourselves for too long. Like I've noticed it. If I look in a magnifying mirror too long, I get this like sort of nauseous, sweaty feeling of like, what is happening with all these pores? This is not good. Or when you're trying to find an outfit and you're on like outfit six, outfit one and two were fine. By the time you get to outfit six, you're very sweaty. You're disoriented. What's up? What's down? I hate everything. I hate me. Like, get me out of here. (laughs) That is a sign you have been disoriented. And so when Mm. we're disoriented, that needs to be this trigger that prompts us to run to the Lord because it's just clear evidence that we are beholding the wrong thing. It's like the day at the beach. Those Mm -hmm. precious girls who, thank goodness, were in my small group and had tons of time to talk to them about, they needed to behold the proper thing. They were beholding their own bodies when there were spectacular displays of God's creation around them that eventually, if they had been beholding the Lord, eventually they would have looked at themselves as part of that good creation and would have had a completely different view of themselves. So I think we need to be aware of when those things happen and properly diagnose them. Okay, I'm disoriented. And then you get to investigate it. You interrogate it. Okay, I probably don't really have an outfit problem. I probably have some kind of spiritual problem. So that is when you remember that the God's word is your compass, the thing that will reorient you. And so any of those passages that you've been chewing on, go back to one of those. Anything that you had uncovered in those rhythms throughout your daily life, that is the time to run to it and to let God's truth kind of wash over you in a new way. Yeah, for sure. I love how scripture tells us that, You know, it's the only book that has the power to help us discern the thoughts and intentions of our hearts, right? So it's exposing, like you said, and God uses that to help show us what is really in our hearts because he wants us to have hearts that are uh, treasuring him. So what are some of those deep heart questions that we can bring before the text and that we should ask as we are kind of seeing illuminated by the neon sign, as you described, the sin that we are struggling with. Yeah, I think the big question to ask is like, what is going on with my soul? And so this is like the very end of Psalm 139. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know Mm -hmm. my thoughts. See if there's anything in me that grieves you and lead me in the way of life. So God can expose the things in you that are producing death and instead lead you in the way of life. And so I think here's kind of an example. This happened literal weeks ago. I had to go somewhere. I couldn't figure out what to wear. Everything looked so stupid and I was starting to spiral. And so I kind of forced myself to analyze it because I was like, "Uh uh-oh, this is not an outfit problem. What is going on with my soul? And as it turned out, what was going on with my soul is I was really afraid. I was afraid that people were going to look at me and think certain things. And so I was trying to cover myself in a fig leaf way by having the perfect outfit, but it wasn't a sufficient covering. It wasn't going to do that. It didn't matter how good the outfit was. Mm. And so when I realized that, that actually gave me a lot more freedom to just go with the first thing that I tried on. And it wasn't so serious (laughs) because I got to realize, okay, because of Christ, I'm clothed in righteousness. I'm clothed in strength and dignity. And so I just kind of, it was a, a reorienting thing. So what is going on with my soul? Anytime you spiral, 
ask that question. And it is something that is like, that's so rooted in Psalm 139. You can ask that to God, like search me, oh God, know my heart. I don't understand what's going on here. It feels like I just feel fat or something. And it's guaranteed (laughs) it's something else. So that would be one question. And another one I would say is, am I taking myself too seriously? So I always say this. I always say my thing is like taking Jesus seriously, not much else, because I feel like it's a way for me to represent the freedom I've discovered because of Christ. Because there really are times we are asking um, our clothes to be our true covering and they can't be, or we are counting on ourselves to present ourselves in a certain way that keeps us self, it keeps us safe. But when it comes to clothing, we do not have to burden ourselves to be trendy. We do not have to be cool to be valuable. We can wear what we actually like rather than what Instagram says. We can wear what represents our values. And we just get to be less serious about the whole thing. If you wear the worst outfit, it's still fine. So that's where I think we can be so serious about it. And I think like a practical application of this is my rule that I have for myself that when I start spiraling about outfits, I just wear the first thing and I refuse to let myself overthink the outfit. It's almost like this act of repentance of like, you know what, if I totally miss the boat, I'm still going to go, but I'm going to spend my, my remaining energy on knowing how I'm clothed in Christ and not just hustling to figure out what in the world in this closet will work. So I think that that can be really helpful. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things that we have as Christians just gotten really serious about, it's so funny how we get so serious about external things and not so serious about what's going on inside our hearts. (laughs) But one of the things we've gotten really serious about is all the rules that we establish for what it looks like to be, you know, a modest Christian woman. And then we go around imposing those rules on everyone around us. So how does what we wear, how does it actually tell a story about whose we are and about what's going on inside us. Like, let's take a different angle. Let's take it from the inside out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I think that when we become obsessive about policing others and policing ourselves, what we're doing is trying to prove righteousness or ask other people to prove righteousness. And that's just not the story. And in fact, when we are so quick to police other people on what they're wearing, I think that we think we're being godly. Like I think often people have good intentions, but I don't think they've investigated it properly because when we look at the story of how God covers his people, it's actually a response to shame. He sees Mm. someone who's naked and ashamed and he covers them. But when we are pointing out ways that we believe others have missed up, one, we're, we're acting like God, assuming that we understand their hearts and intentions, but only God knows that. But also we are actually very much at risk of making them feel naked and ashamed, which would be a complete misrepresentation of the gospel. And so I think that we have to be so careful with ourselves and with other people, because I mean, I was like that too. I mean, I remember genuinely believing that I had to earn the color of my wedding dress. I just misunderstood the gospel, you know, and think like I have to earn this rather than Christ has clothed me. And so therefore... I want to overflow and live a certain way, but I kind of had it backwards. I said, everyone will know I'm righteous because I have covered myself properly and we just are Mm. missing the better message. Yeah. And I I just think it's such an opportunity, right? Like number one, to examine our own hearts and then in discipleship relationships, kind of to come alongside, Mm -hmm. like you were talking about with the girls on the beach, you're hearing, okay, this is like, you're hearing these things. Sounds like there may be like a wrong belief Mm -hmm. uh, based on what's true. And so how do we take the time instead of just saying like, hey, you know, Here it is to help kind of with that process of prayerful examination and then holding those things to the text and really knowing what does the text say. So thank you, Caroline. Again, I'm going to say this a million times, but thank you for helping us see this women as you're listening. This is what it looks like. This is instructive. There's multiple layers of instruction here. There's a layer of clothing, but then there's also an instruction of this is why it's so valuable for us to know, not just Psalm 139 and those particular verses, you're fearfully and wonderfully made, but the whole story of what God has been doing throughout redemptive history. So thank you for showing us that. Do you have any other kind of guiding biblical principles that can help us move towards this particular practice, getting dressed every day with wisdom? So things that are driven by scripture. I'm going on a soapbox here, (laughs) but one of the things that really irks 
strikes me about the way that we come alongside one another in discipleship relationships is that we are so tempted to simply offer our practice. So you might be tempted to say, hey, let's talk about clothing. Here's what you wear, like you said, to be a good Christian girl. Well, number one, that's all cultural. Number two, that's historical, right? Like that's not going to be the same in this point in history as it was 150 years ago. But what are the things that are age old, that are tested by time, that will never fail us when it comes to moving toward our particular practice of getting dressed. Oh yeah. That is so helpful, Hunter. Yeah. I've, one principle that I think is really helpful is embedded in 1 Corinthians 6, where Paul is saying, it's permissible, but is it beneficial? So you get to look at your clothing. Like I think that you have freedom in Christ we have lots of freedom in Christ. That's why, I, that's why I get to wear my pink jumpsuit and love it. You know, like we have tons of freedom in Christ, but we also get to ask ourselves because we're part of a family, we get to say, is it beneficial? Now, the problem when we just create rules is we actually sh- short circuit the Holy Spirit's work. And if we do that in discipleship, you actually are no longer telling the woman or the girl, okay, in your closet, have fellowship with the Holy Spirit and let him guide you. Instead, you're saying, here's a rule. Don't worry about all that other stuff. So like I used to only understand modesty to be like, well, keep the stuff covered up. Of course, that was like, sometimes that's a difficult thing to understand what that even means. So I certainly did wrestle with it. But what I began to understand more, especially as I read other passages about modesty is one of the big ways scripture talks about modesty is more like a presentational modesty. Like, am I wearing flashy, fancy things? And so when I'm at, when I'm wearing something, I'm like, okay, it's permissible for me to wear this trendy outfit. Is it beneficial? Because maybe I'm going to dinner with somebody who I know is struggling with materialism and really desires to shop or Mm. has a presentation problem and, and feels like she needs to look cool in order to matter. Am I serving her when I wear my super trendy outfit or is it really serving her when I show up in a t-shirt? So I think that there are, there's just more to it. There's more that we can investigate. It is permissible, but is it beneficial? We can just investigate. We can walk with the Holy Spirit and he will reveal surprising things that go far beyond hemlines or whatever. And we get to do it in a way that's more authentic. It's not like trying to follow a rule. It's I have been walking with the, by the Spirit and he has led me to this and I'm glad to do it because I trust him. So that mm. would be... One of them, it's permissible, but is it beneficial? And then also it would just Mm -hmm. be this idea that I've referenced before, like how is God parenting me? That we see throughout scripture that God is our parent and we have to remember what good parents do. And sometimes good parents say, that ain't it. And you say, all right, I trust you. And sometimes parents say, and this is what I say more often than that ain't it, is I say, you look so beautiful. Like I'm even Mm. thinking of like my daughter, I got her this dress for Easter. I was so pumped to get it. I found it like a resale site, but it was cuter than anyone could ever imagine. And she put it on and she lit up and I lit up and we were just like, yay. And that's Mm. one of the things that we miss out on too, is when we think that God is like just throwing the rule book at us all the time, that a lot of times it's more like when I look at my daughter and I see her twirling in the new dress and I'm like, I love you so much. You are so beautiful to me. So Mm. I think that if we are faithful to remember God as our loving father and we're asking him, how can I benefit my personal Mm -hmm. walk with you and how can I benefit those around me, that that will help us make really wise choices about how we dress. Mm. (laughs) This has been so helpful and instructive for me on a personal level. I'm really excited to put some of these things into place in my parenting. Do you have any other kind of gentle, loving ways that we can come alongside those whom God has placed in our immediate context, whether it be children, whether it be young women who we're investing in in a discipleship relationship? How can we come alongside each other and kind of guide one another through the perils of closets and clothes and confidence? Well, I always think about that verse, 2 Corinthians 1, 4, which says, he comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be Mm. able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So the truth is that when I am in agony in a fitting room, in a closet, whatever, and I am faithful to run to the Lord for comfort, inevitably, that will be something he asked me to re-gift. 
And that's so exciting. One, I think it keeps us faithful to run to him, but also we get to see how we can minister to those around us. So for example, once I was very like deeply setting first Peter three, where he talks about yeah. the kind of beauty that God values is a, a gentle and quiet spirit which many people have pointed out, it's not a personality thing. Thank goodness. It's like that internal stillness, like a still, the surface of a still lake, that inner restfulness. I know many of us have seen, we know people who are beautiful like that. And I had this one morning where I had been deep in it, but I had an outfit situation and was spiraling and I wasn't <laughs> nice to my kids as a result. And by the time I get in the car on the way to church, the Holy Spirit is so clear with me. Caroline, you have chosen the wrong kind of beauty. You were adorning yourself with mm. these certain things, you ask the outfit to do the adorning, you ask the makeup to do your adorning, and you have chosen the wrong kind of beauty. And also your kids are watching. And he didn't say that to me in a way that made me feel shame. It actually made me feel so grateful because I thought if I play this tape forward and the way I train my daughter to get ready is frantically and asking the outfit to prove that she's beautiful I do, that is not the kind of inheritance that I want to give to her. And I was so repentant and I really, I was just more motivated than ever to cultivate a gentle and quiet spirit. And Hunter, you know, when I got to church, the sermon was on first Peter three. So I was like, <laughs> okay, I get it. It was, it was kind of brutal, but I'll never Take forget it. Take it personally. I'll wow. never forget it. Like I would be crushed if I if my daughter grows up and I see her frantically yeah. getting ready because that's what will make her beautiful. So praise God that he convicts me in my closet, that he comforts me in my closet so that I can pass that on to the people around me. And it's better than knowing rules because it's part of the fabric of who I am. And so it mm. can overflow in a much more powerful way. Totally. It drives us to him. Yes. You know, I mean, any outfit is imperfect. Any, anytime you look in the mirror, you, you know, you could work out. I used to be a personal trainer. There you go. There's a tidbit. <laughs> you could just work out and work out and try and refine and chisel, you know, all these different areas of the body going to fall short. And so it's such a wonderful opportunity for us to turn again to the one who never does. Amen. So praise the Lord. One of the things that I want to point people to as far as like a practical help for listeners who are wanting to grow more in this area. Well, two things. One is uh, like an old, I guess it was a blog post that you did. Is that right? Like on modesty? Yeah. yeah. So it's called Guiding Principles for the Modesty Conversation. You can find it on writercaroline.com. Um, another really helpful resource, I would say, for all people, especially if you have young people who you're investing in, is called Beach Brain. This is a PDF. How do they get that? I think you can go writercaroline.com slash beachbrain and put your email in and it emails it to you. It's really good, you guys. It's just a PDF that kind of walks through some of these truths. There's overlapping themes. A lot of it has to do with, you know, the whole like confidence and, and all of that situation. So those are two practical kind of resources that I would recommend to people who want to continue learning more about this. Uh, do you have any resources that you would recommend? When is the story of clothing coming out with B&H Kids? Well, I actually, I mean, I know, <laughs> I know that no pressure, b &H, I'm just kidding. Um, I know that... <laughs> that you know about Story and Soul, which is just this local like women's retreat that um, we yeah. do. But this December, I'm going to teach the story of the covering. And I have been dying to do it for years because I'm so relieved by that whole principle. And I'm so excited to share more about that. So whenever I actually do that, I can make sure that you know about it. But that's just something we do for like our women here. But it's it's changed my life having to look at the Bible like that. And having to look at clothing like this has been so helpful. But I think a practical thing that people can do and that I do, the Bible tells us to like have scripture like all around your house, put it on the gates and put it on the doorpost and all these things. And you can do that on your mirror. Just see it. See, that's, that's right. The, that's Hunter. the idea. See, see it. it. Yes. That's right. <laughs> and I think that it would be very crucial to put it in your closet. It's not as cute as putting it. We frame scripture beautifully in other parts of our house, but do it in the places where you have a crisis. Change the background of your phone before you go into a fitting room. Do something that can anchor you in those places where you know you're very quick to get disoriented about what is true. So 
you know, I have verses on my mirror. I keep thinking I need to post more in my closet because it's really more happening in my closet. And yeah, in a fitting room, like saying things to myself, or if you buy stuff online, before you open that box and start trying it on, it's going to be a good idea to remember who has clothed you. Yeah. You know what you need to do? You need to write something on like a liturgy for trying on oh, clothes. Oh, that's so good, Hunter. Please do that. I think I will. Okay, so <laughs> that's going to be one of my simple joys once you get it done. We've historically asked, like, what are your three simple joys? It's just this thing that we always do on Journey Women. And I just thought it'd be fun to talk about it in terms of clothing today Yay. because that's been the topic of conversation. So what are your three simple joys when it comes to getting well, dressed? Well, one you won't be surprised about is my pink jumpsuit because <laughs> it has been the thing that everybody says that's so you. And I even asked my husband, I was like, do you like it? And his response was, well, it's very Caroline. And I was like... That literally doesn't answer the question and it's making me feel weird, but that's the truth. Is it so me? It made me, makes me feel known. So I love that. And anything that somebody gives you where they say, I thought of you, that's just so fun. So that's definitely one of my simple joys. And then another one would, would just be like any pajamas or loungewear. Like my husband says, my superpower is how quickly I can get out of like real clothes and into pajamas. He's like, I, where did you go? Like all of a sudden it's like how Superman changes in the phone booth. I'm like, yeah, look, I'm already in pajamas. So I love that. That's and so then good. I also have this, uh, I got this earring organizer from Amazon that oh. is making me feel like a put together person. And so I really like that. And you can see them all. It just, I really like that. I have realized that my favorite people on the planet are the ones who are just so different than me. Like I own one pair of earrings and it's just, so, it's just so refreshing, Caroline. Like <laughs> you, it just feels like, you know, it's just such a picture of the body of Christ where you're like, I'm tired of like looking at the way God's wired me. I just delight in <laughs> who he's made you to be. Thank you for having such an impact on the way that I understand so many different topics, especially this one today. I'd love to hear from you. Who is it that's had the greatest impact on the way that you understand the topic of, you know, clothing? Maybe it could also just be the topic of who you are, your identity in Christ. So that would have to be my mom. And the thing about my mom mm -hmm. is she really is like so beautiful. She's such a babe. Me and my sister and my brother are always like, why is our mom such a babe? But the truth is, <laughs> is the way that she wears her beauty actually puts people at ease rather than makes them tense up. I have always noticed that about her. The fact that she's beautiful has never been difficult for me. It has always been something that's invited me to restfulness. So the way that she's mothered me has been that she ma she has made me feel beautiful on the outside and simultaneously feel like the pursuit of external beauty is just not that serious. So I'm not really sure how she did that. But I'm hoping to lay the same groundwork for my daughter because I, it has been, I don't really know who I would be if I had been raised by a mom who handled beauty in a different way. Like it has really been so formative. This is such a great conversation. We should do like a part two on aging. Oh, wow. Because I just feel like there's, a, it's just ripe and ready and there. Maybe we can have Susan Hunt come join us. That sounds so fun. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you, as always, for your time. It's just been such a joy to get to have you on Journey Woman again. I really appreciate you and your thoughtfulness pertaining to this topic. Thanks for sharing it with us today. So grateful for you, Hunter. Thank you. We pray that this conversation with Caroline causes you to consider how you can put on the Lord Jesus Christ and trust Him as you step into the closet and choose what to wear. May His righteousness be our covering. If you love learning from Caroline as much as I do, don't forget to check out our books at writercaroline.com. We'll be here next week with a brand new episode on sex and sexuality with our friend Rachel Gilson. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss it. And while you're there, consider sharing this summer series or leave us a rating and review. We really appreciate it. This episode was edited and sound designed by the team at Sound On Studios. You can find out more about their work at soundonsoundoff.com. We are so grateful for them and for you. Can't wait to see you here next Monday. Have a great week. <laughs>